0: Welcome to Board Meetings, where I chat about woodworking with my fellow Wood Whisperer Guild members. On today's installment, I discuss twisted boards with Dax, a warped bridle joint with Will, and cyclone dust collection with Jay. Let's dig right in.
1: So uh, my question is, I'm starting to mill my uh, cypress for the Adirondack chair. Okay. And I'm noticing that, uh, you know, I got 10 foot long boards and I started to cut them uh into lengths for the parts that I needed Mm -hmm. and I don't you know when I picked out the boards from the um the lumber yard they looked you know fairly straight but once I cut them into smaller pieces I noticed that they were you know starting to twist okay and so you know I sort of I worked a little bit at it with a you know with a um uh, with my plane and before I put it through my thickness planer and you know still you know there's some twist in there you know i mean i don't know if it, that kind of wood maybe it's you know it's not as hard so it's more apt to twist and all that kind of stuff so
0: yeah it's it's hard to say i wouldn't necessarily blame the the wood species uh so much as perhaps it's wood that isn't fully acclimated maybe it's oh. got a little too much moisture and you know what man i've actually had boards that just had a mind of their own and no matter what i did no matter how long i let them sit they were either right. uh, what they call case hardened, or there were some odd growth properties that just caused it to twist and bow and just be a problem the entire time. So, uh, right. some some wood is just like that. Uh, with that particular stuff, if uh, if you, well, where do you live?
1: in Portland, Oregon.
0: Okay, so you're going to have uh, high humidity and things like that that you're going to be dealing with. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that in certain conditions, in certain environments, it's a good idea to have uh, one of those humidity or um, uh, moisture meters for your uh-huh. lumber, And that way you can kind of have a real good idea of exactly where it's at when you get it in the shop and know where you want it to be eventually. Uh, because if it's a high moisture content, a lot of times, if you're especially if you happen to take a little more off of one side than you do off of the other, uh, uh-huh. that, that thing is gonna potato chip on you. so um, so it's hard to say, and it may just be something where these boards just need to sit for a little while. Certain, right. certainly if they're warping on you right away, it's probably not a good time to work with them. Um, okay. But when you do decide to mill them, try to mill them evenly on both sides so that it's losing moisture from both sides of the board equally and that should put the cards in your favor. Uh, but if you're looking to build right away, you may you may need to hold off on that particular stock. okay. Um, at this point, I mean, how much extra material do you have? Was it just uh um, like fifteen ths uh, standard four quarter rough stuff or?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just standard four quarter.
0: Yeah, because you just kind of have to sometimes make a judgment call because when I have wood that I'm trying to hurry to the point that I could work with it, I will pre-mill it a little bit and take a little bit off both sides and then let it sit and do its thing. But if you know that that thing is really going to start to warp even more, you certainly can't afford to take much material away, you know, before that point. So. Uh, right. You sort of have to make a judgment call on whether or not you should do that, but that's, you know, sometimes it's just best to put the pile on aside. Maybe even call the place and ask them how long have they had that batch? Right, you know, right. Maybe they got it in, uh, you know, recently and it's it's very fresh and has a little bit more moisture than you really want it to have.
1: And just depending on how you know the weather is here, I mean that that determines how long it's going to take to dry out, and then. Yeah, it, it out a little bit or- Yeah, and if,
0: if you're in a high humidity environment, it doesn't necessarily have to go as low because your natural environment is a little bit higher in humidity. Just the normal way it's going to exist in your shop is going to be higher than say what it would be like if it was in my shop uh, just because it's so darn dry here. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean it, it, it will depend. Um, but again, kiln dried stock, most times, if it's a good stable board, a kiln dried piece of wood uh, should be able, even if it's still got a little bit too much moisture in it, uh, mm-hmm. should be able to be milled evenly on both sides and stay relatively flat. That, of course, the uh, the the exception there is when that board it has problems, you know, and it's got right. internal stresses, which could also be the case. It's just hard to say,
1: for sure. But if I let it be, it would eventually sort of.
0: It will most likely stabilized to some extent it will get uh-huh. it will get more stable and the question the unknown factor here that happens with all lumber is sometimes even after it gets to that point where it's at equilibrium with its environment there may be other things going on that cause those boards to be unstable so it's it's kind of hard to say for sure what the actual situation is with those boards but sure. you know i just get nervous when i start having boards that warp all over the place cuz either there is a moisture problem or there's an internal stress problem and if it's an internal stress problem them, that may not be the best wood to put into your project, right? Because it's always going to want to do something different than what you want it to do, right? Right? You know.
1: So, I mean, is there uh, too much potato chip to where it's like, I definitely should shouldn't use that? You know, well,
0: that if you piece, can't,
1: or is there? Is there some wiggle room as far as, you know?
0: Well, in this particular project, there is quite a bit of wiggle room because most of these boards uh, are are sort of being attached to a framework and you don't necessarily have to depend on them being, it's not like we're doing a tabletop. Uh, You know, In a tabletop, you need those things to be flat and if they're not, you're going to notice it. So with this particular project, this is actually one where you can get away with these boards doing something a little bit funky. Uh, The key is to cut down the time between the milling of the stock and the joinery and then when you actually glue them up because once you mill these down, if they're going to move a little bit, it's better to have them glued up and stuck together so that they don't move so much. You're restricting Uh, their movement. You know, So if you move quickly, you might be able to get away, but th- there's definitely some wiggle room in this project. Yeah, okay. All right.
1: All right, well, uh, yeah, thanks, appreciate it. Yeah,
0: keep me posted on your progress and uh, okay. s- send me pics or anything to let me know where you're at and uh, I can't wait to see it, sounds cool.
1: Yeah, great, thanks.
0: All right, Dax, take care.
1: All right, bye. All right, bye-bye.
0: Hello, Will. Hi, Mark, how are you doing? Good, how's it going?
2: Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. I was hoping to pick your brain on something.
0: Pick it, my friend. Pick it.
2: Okay. Well, I think I, I sent you that blog posting recently about this, this crib I'm building. And okay. on the top of the posts, I have these, um, bridal joints, I guess you call them. Okay. And, uh, I noticed something. So I'm using cherry and it's actually the same cherry stock I used to build an entertainment center a while back. So this wood's been sitting in my basement here in Michigan for two years now. So it's. It's dry. Okay. And uh, when I made bridal joints on the entertainment center, I had no problems at all. But uh, on the crib, I noticed when I relieved the material in the center that would receive the tenon. So I guess you could call it a mortise. Yeah, it's like an
0: open open mortise of sorts.
2: Right. When I did that, I noticed uh, considerable deflection of the two pieces that remained, and they kind of curved back towards the center because the pressure had been relieved. Okay, And I was, so basically what I did is I, I made my tenon and I have my mortise and it's kind of hard to get the tenon in there. Right. Now, if I took more material off of my tenon, I'm going to get a tight fit at the tip, but then down deep in the joint, I'm going to have a gap. Right. And I was wondering, what do you do about this? Like, should I be, should I make some sort of a wedge and like, like you know pry the thing apart so i can fit my tenon in there and then it'll just lock it real tight i mean this i'm just kind of nervous about the
0: glue up that i have coming down yeah yeah it can be a little bit sketchy because you don't want to force it too much you don't want to crack something but at the same time uh, i see what you're saying if you relieve stock off of either the 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 mortise you know the female of the bridal joint or uh the tenon you're going to have some fit issues so um, personally, if it were me, because you know you remove the proper amount of stock and basically this is just the wood sort of reacting after stock's been removed, almost like when you make a long rip cut uh, that the boards almost never stay straight. They always want, because that pressure is released and they always want to bend a little bit. Um, so my instinct, if and again, this is going to depend on the specifics of that project. If it was in my hands, I might be able to, to say for sure one way or the other, but I would try to get that tenon in there. Um, chances are it's not going to take that much pressure to get those pieces spread out enough that it will accept the tenon. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you do have some sort of a wedge that you could put into one side and kind of twist it to open things up a little bit as you put the tenon in there, and maybe if you can, I don't, I don't know the exact structure of the piece, but it'd be great if you could just focus on one of those at a time and let one dry before you start adding the other parts. Because if you're doing, doing two or three of these at once, it seems like that's going to be a little bit of a, a challenge to get everything to work properly.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, this is kind of scary because like, but basically it's, there's only, they're only around the top. And basically yeah. you have a rail along the top that meets the top of the posts. Right. Um. But that top rail also has all the spindles going into it. And I was kind of hoping to do a pre-assembly mm. and connect that top rail to the middle rail and all the spindles okay. and get that all locked in. And then I would somehow push on from the sides the post.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, told, no, I totally understand. If, if you can't – I mean if you can't manage to get that to work, one thing that you can also try – and this is, I don't know, it's a little bit of a desperate measure, but uh, as we know, when you put water on a one particular side of a piece of wood, that side expands and it tends to uh, to cup. So if you possibly put a little bit of water on the inside of that bridal joint, uh, the female portion, uh, it's going to expand a little bit and you may actually wind up, even if it's just temporary, you may wind up reversing that cup a little bit and that Mm -hmm. may give you just enough uh, wiggle room that you could squeeze that tenon in. Then, when it dries, and especially once you have glue and clamps on there, that pressure that, when it goes back to where it was before, that's gonna work in your favor. I mean, that's like automatic clamping pressure for you.
2: So what would you uh, suggest, would you suggest like making like a wooden, shim to kind of hammer into the backside to spread it or what would you use to spread apart those two parts of the female? Yeah,
0: you got to obviously be careful because you don't want to dent anything so that's always a challenge. I would probably just get a little wedge of uh, a wood, you know, that's a pretty severe angle and I would just kind of carefully I mean, again, this would be a lot of fiddling with this piece if I had it in my hands, just to see if this is something that could realistically work. Um, but I would try and just slowly push that wedge in from the one side as the, uh, you know, the other piece. Uh, I'm sorry, the uh, the tenon is coming in from the other end. So that eventually the tenon will kind of come through and just pop that wedge out once it's all the way in.
2: Oh, um, I see. You know, I but see. that's a good idea.
0: But again, make sure you at least try put a little bit of water. Take a you know paintbrush or a sponge or something, and just sponge a little bit of water on the inside of that uh, that mortise there, and see if you can't get those ends to buckle out the other way. You don't think that'll compromise the glue joint? Oh, I wouldn't do that necessarily at the same time that you're gluing it, unless you maybe want to switch to like a polyurethane glue that kind of thrives on having a little bit of moisture in the joint. That's certainly one option, but I'm I'm just kind of talking about. Well, let me put it this, put it this way: since you're using even if you use PVA like a water-based glue, uh, that kind of has the same effect. So if if you get the pieces to spread apart, they don't necessarily go back right away. They, uh, the, the water will absorb a little bit, the joint will start to dry, and it won't necessarily shrink right back. So that may be the sweet spot where you then apply glue and pop everything in because essentially the glue on the inside of that joint is going to have the same effect because it does have moisture in it. And if, there's, if the wood inside there is a little bit wet when you first start that, it's probably not going to hurt anything just because it's water-based glue going into a joint that has a little bit of water in it. Okay. Yeah, that, that's what I Thanks would. Uh, yeah, I'd give that a shot. Let me know how it turns out for you. Okay, I will. All right, Will, take care. Okay. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hello, Jay. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? Good. Excellent. Um, I had some
3: really basic questions. Sure. Um, I'm actually uh, mostly mostly related to the Cyclone. I'm about to buy kind of the same rig you have.
0: Oh, okay. Bob. Nice.
3: But I, I was just curious: like, what. Uh, you know, is if you were going to redo your dust collection, uh, mm-hmm. would you do the same exact thing again?
0: I I probably would. Yes, um, I've thought about it a number of times. You know, now with the, the the show doing well, if I really wanted to, you know, say replace something, I could probably I could justify it uh, and, and call it a business expense if I really wanted to. Um, but I really like the ClearView. I think uh, it's really one of the best. Bangs for the buck, just in terms of getting a powerful five horsepower Cyclone that has a high CFMs. That's certainly uh, competitive with any Oneida unit or Grizzly unit or uh, any of these other ones that are on the market, and it's priced lower. Uh, to to get a five horsepower system in any other brand, you know, is probably going to be nearly twice the price. Um, so for me, I think for my money, the system is definitely the Clearview is definitely the Cyclone that I would get again. Um, I would also go with the metal duct work which is what I did when I moved to the new shop. I got rid of the plastic and went all metal uh, which works, you know, you have to kind of rig it up to make sure it goes into the input port on the Cyclone but it works great. Um, so yeah, I, frankly I think I probably would do it again. Um, you know, the one concern a lot of people have is that the, the clear view is made out of plastic um, but I have to remind folks that there's a lot of really durable things, important things that we use all the time that are made out of plastic. Festool is plastic. Um, you know, bulletproof plastic (laughs) protects people behind, you know, banking windows and things like that. So uh, plastic can be pretty tough stuff and just, it's not really so much a gimmick as it's just a way that they were able to uh, manufacture this thing at a very low cost, which is why I think it's such a good bargain. So yeah, yeah, uh, the long answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But the the short answer is yes, I, I would probably do the same thing again.
3: Um, well, then the other thing is, you went with the economy uh, metal ducting. Would you do the spiral stuff, or would you do the exact same? Would you do the economy version from Penn? Or what, I guess it was
0: oh, um, Penn State, right? Yeah, Penn State.
3: Um, um, would you do the same, or would you upgrade the the metal duct work?
0: If I had unlimited unlimited money, like a unlimited budget, where it just didn't really matter, uh, I would probably go with the spiral because the spiral, generally speaking, uh, is the better stuff but with my budget and the differences that I've seen and heard about in performance between let's say the 26 gauge snap lock versus the spiral I don't think that that difference is substantial enough to justify the cost difference so the frugal side of me that does care how much this stuff costs right. uh, says says no I, I would not buy the spiral uh, if I were to do it again just because that's extra money that I'm spending and not seeing a huge gain in performance from it. You know, the other thing is simplicity in terms of cutting that spiral ductwork. Uh, it comes together, obviously. It's a solid piece, and you've got to cut that. Uh, the great thing about the snap lock is it's shipped um, detached, so you can lay the pieces out flat. Excuse me, and just use uh, just like tin snips to cut it to size. So the installation is actually really fast on that. And 26 gauge yeah. is, is plenty. 26 gauge is definitely my five horsepower Cyclone doesn't even think about collapsing 26 gauge. So, okay, so how many,
3: I guess the question is from start to finish when you've got your Cyclone and you set up all your duct work the second time around when you did this, the, the, the metal stuff. Uh-huh. How, did it, how long did it take you to do that? Uh,
0: well, when I when I moved into the house, the first time I moved away from the big shop, uh, that's when I switched to metal for the, the first time. Uh, that was a weekend project. You know, I mean, I took my time with it. It took me a couple days. Uh, but the second time when I moved to, back to the big shop, that took me about three or four days and the reason was because I actually ran it one way and was like this is not working like I don't know what I was thinking it just seemed like at the time on paper it seemed like the most efficient way to go But I had piping where it just didn't look good and it would have looked terrible in the show. So I said, forget it. I'm tearing it all down and starting over again. So with 16-foot ceilings and trying to get this thing to maneuver around the shop, that took me a little bit longer. But really, for the average shop, you could pipe that thing out and and if you have a little bit of help, you could certainly do it in a day. Uh, And if it's a smaller shop, you could do it in a day. But I think the average shop for the average person is probably going to be a two-day project.
3: Okay, Um, And then I guess, does it it make any difference between the left or the right hand version of that, I guess, uh,
0: at all? Yeah, the only difference is it depends on where you're positioning it in your shop. And I get them confused on how they label them, but look at the picture closely and what you're looking for is where the, um, the intake chute is coming out. So basically they're mirror images of each other. So it just depends on whether you're going right or going left. So wherever the, the cyclone is going to be positioned in your shop, just look at it. If you were standing straight on, is is your pipe, your ductwork going to be going to the right or to the left? And you right. want basically you want that intake chute, uh, from what I understand, you would want that closer to the wall because obviously that's where all the support is going to be when you run it along the wall. Right. Um, so that's that's really the only difference, but performance wise and everything, it makes no difference at all. It just depends on your shop. Uh, worst case scenario though, you can turn it around the other way. It just means your piping, your ductwork is actually going to start about f- a foot away from the wall. So you'll have to kind of angle it toward the wall a little bit and then just make a little bit of a turn so that it snugs up against the wall nicely.
3: Yeah, I, I considered building like a closet outside my shop to put Put the thing in mm-hmm, for the noise. Mm-hmm. I consider that, or just keeping it in the shop. I don't know. You, yours is in your shop. Is it too loud? Or
0: you air? know, when you've got enough space, it really dissipates quickly. Now, bottom line is, I'm never going to turn that thing on without my, you know, ear protection on anyway, just as a safety measure. Uh, but it's significantly quieter in the big shop than it was when I was in my three-car garage uh, with a well-insulated space and that much, you know, space with the low ceilings. Wow, that thing really just reverberated. It was super loud. Um, okay. but I'm pleasantly surprised by how quiet it is in the shop now but if you can if you have the means to build a little closet or an outdoor space for it so much more pleasant of an experience to work around <laughs> uh, so if you have the means absolutely I highly recommend it I just didn't have that that option yeah yeah I know I'm, I'm, it's I'm, a treat
3: I'm, I went I went with the saw stop uh, five horsepower
0: okay. Uh, okay
3: over the paramedic but then I'm getting uh, all the helical I'm getting the a 20 inch uh, and then an eight inch and then, you know, everything else, Powermatic.
0: Sweet. So, yeah, so it's,
3: it's um, you know, it's, it's it's I've got to put in all the electrical and I've got to put in the, the cyclone, which is basically the thing I'm waiting on all the equipment's here, but I'm waiting on the dust collection, so.
0: Gotcha. But yeah, I did want to mention that there are other great companies out there. I know Oneida, if, if you've got a few more bucks to throw at it, uh, they've got their duct uh, planning service that you can use and they will take good care of you but you're looking at a much heavier unit and you're going to pay a lot more to get a similar amount of CFMs that you can get from the the Clearview but that said, they are one of the best in the industry so if you uh, were in the market, Oneida certainly is a good option too. Oh
3: yeah. Well listen, I just want to say I, I like your show a lot and cool. thanks for the time.
0: Awesome man. Thanks a lot. Take care and good luck with that. It sounds like you've got your hands full with the with the shop now so... Oh yeah, I got a lot of work to do. Cool, cool. Send pictures. I want to see it when it's uh, when it's all done. I will do that. All right, man. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. So that's another installment of board meetings. And thanks to everyone for calling in. If you'd like to participate in our board meeting chats, you'll need to join the guild. So head on over to woodwhispererguild.com to sign up.